Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad you joined me today. I hope your day's been going well. We're going to have a wonderful uh, couple of hours ahead. Guy Talk is going to be starting in just a minute or two. And then uh, Dr. Mark Musco will be joining me as well. So there's going to be a lot of testosterone in this studio today throughout the whole two hours. Let me know. The text line is already open. If you've got a question for the power panel, let me know what it is. The panel today consists of Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, and Dr. Peter Kapsner, uh, 007 agent Justin Jepson, I don't think will be joining us today. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to make it. He's got some scheduling conflicts, from what I've been told. So uh, I guess uh, maybe no Justin. Uh, maybe he's uh, suffering from an injury. I haven't given it to him yet, but I will soon. But up, up, yeah. But uh, that's what's going on. So let me know what the questions are. Again, 877-933-2484. If you like email, because you're just uh, less intimidated by email, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to the show. Thank good you, Bill. Good to be here. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. How's everyone doing? So far, so good. Okay. This is good, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah indeed. I thought we were, we're in the Minneapolis area. I thought we were supposed to get about 15 inches of That's snow what I heard, a, too. an hour. We've got nothing. Yeah. Not yeah. yet. It's coming, though. Yeah. Indeed. All right, let's get started with uh, some questions and some uh, issues that have come up already. How do you overcome bitterness? Hmm. There's a Hmm. long, awkward pause. Hmm. Well, the only way I've ever seen people overcome bitterness in the ministry is when they learn thankfulness. When they become very thankful for what Jesus has really done for them, Jesus' thankfulness supersedes their bitterness. And now that's not an easy task, and I'm not trying to make it sound simple. Uh, most people I've worked with, it will take months and months and months of talking, of praying together, of encouraging them. But the goal is, is that as they find their bitterness starting to well up, what I always tell them is call upon the name of Jesus and give him thanks right on the spot for what he's done for you. And the more people have learned to do that, the less bitterness they seem to carry. Some people, it's extinguished completely. Other people, they're, they're still managing it, but they're finding the freedom and thankfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hard one. I don't, I'm not sure entirely. And maybe it depends on the situation on, on some level. I think it's probably harder when there's been a breach and maybe some of our horizontal relationships with one another mm-hmm. uh, where somebody just really treated us terribly unfairly or, you know, in some really difficult scenarios, if somebody just left us in the course of a marriage or if we were fired or let go of a job in some really unfair ways. I know, remember, I think it was the late 1990s where uh, on the job that I was on, I, I squawked a little bit about what I felt to be unfair treatment. And uh, maybe about two weeks later, uh, they went ahead and uh, and moved me out of that position, <laughs> as it were. And, and they they said they were reorganizing, right? And that the, the responsibilities with which I carried in the organization were no longer necessary, only to find out about two weeks later that somebody else was carrying on the very same responsibilities. And and so, and the, you know, I thought I had a, a case. I thought I had a cause. I, I didn't think I was terribly disrespectful about it. And so it left me bitter uh, for a while about that situation. 
And then I think, Tom, what you just said is helpful, along with the idea that if we're going to expect fairness out of life, if we're going to expect that everything is supposed to go perfectly in our lives, then I think that expectation can lend itself uh, to some some difficult circumstances because we have to understand that we do live in a, in a broken and difficult world. And so it's going to be very unusual to live a life in which you're not going to experience some kind of unfair treatment. And so the question becomes is how, you know, what do you, what do you do with that? And, and can you find space to desire goodwill, even for the people that have brought harm to you? I think that's the great secret of the cross. And I have absolutely no idea how Jesus did that when he was hanging on the cross mm-hmm. to turn and say, Father, forgive them. But I think those are some of the deep secrets of the kingdom that really only God can bring into our lives. And, you know, I learned something back in college I've used ever since, a little booklet by Bill Bright, Campus Crusade, called How to Love by Faith, that we're commanded to love our enemies, we're commanded to f- forgive people. On my own, I can't do that. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But what Bill Bright said, we're commanded to, to forgive we're also commanded that whenever we pray according to God's will, he hears then answers that prayer. So here's what I do. Somebody barks at me and makes me mad. I go into prayer. Lord, I forgive Mr. So-and-so, not in my power because I can't do this, but Lord, in your strength and power, I forgive Mr. So-and-so for what he did. You commanded me to do it. You promised whenever I act according to your command, you answer it. So Lord, I forgive Mr. So-and-so in Jesus' name. Amen. And I have forgiven him. Now, that doesn't mean maybe five minutes later I'm not going rah, rah, rah in my head about him again. <laughs> but, you know, in fact, there are people, I mean, I was at the same church for 29 years. There are people that are dead that now and then I have to say, Lord, yes, I forgive them, Lord. <laughs> and and just so just I would encourage people, if you've got bitterness, go to the Lord in prayer. Yeah. Say, God, in your strength and power, I forgive my spouse for what they did in Jesus' name Amen. And again, if it rears its ugly head again, Lord, I I have forgiven them. My feelings just haven't caught up to the reality, but I do forgive this person in Jesus' name. I use that regularly. It's interesting. I had a a woman, and I was a young pastor. She was in her 30s. Why she came to me for counseling, I'll never know. But she came and she said, I need to talk to you about a serious problem I've had all my life. She said, I have a family member who raped me repeatedly when I was a little girl. She said, I've been so bitter. I've gone through several marriages. Oh. I uh, don't like people at all. I want revenge. I want to hurt people for what they've done. But now that I've met Jesus, and she had become a believer a short time before that, she said, I don't know how to even begin to deal with this anymore. And what the Lord brought to my mind in her case, and I'm not recommending this for everybody, she was one of these uh, highly animated type people. So I said to her, Okay, Marilyn, what I'm asking you to do is visualize Jesus as best you can in your mind. And she did. And I said, now I want you to see that person who raped you standing on the other side of Jesus. And from this moment on, Jesus is offering you his shed blood and thankful, and you need to be thankful. But every anger you have now first has to go through Jesus to get to him. How long do you want to do that to Jesus? And that was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I heard from her not long ago, maybe a year and a half. And she said, I'm still walking in forgiveness mm-hmm. after 30-some years. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to understand the individual and work with them, but the Lord has a way of dealing with that for each person. Good. All right. In the First Timothy, in the book of First Timothy, uh, Paul says, uh, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Is that hyperbole? Is he really the worst sinner ever? What does that mean? Well, I think he, he clearly was trying to make a point, obviously. Maybe, I, I don't know if I'd use the word hyperbole, but perhaps, but boy, his background, I mean, he certainly uh, w- was not, <laughs> he, he was not just the, the squeaky clean kind of guy. Now, he was very misguided when he was a Pharisee prior to getting knocked off his horse and struck blind on the road to Damascus and, and having met the risen Lord, who then gave him this profound mission to bring the the light of the kingdom to the Gentiles. And, and prior to that, he was presiding over the um, pursuing and killing of of the early Christians, most of whom at that time were uh, it was a, it was a Jewish sect that decided that Jesus really was the Messiah, and they were the early Christians, and that was a tremendous threat to the authorities and the power structures of the day early in the Book of Acts. Like that, this is before the gospel really went out of Jerusalem and then out of Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And Paul was the primary um, sort of overlord, I suppose, that oversaw the killing of all the Christians. And and I cannot imagine, you guys, what that must have felt like for Paul to then have met the risen Lord and to have had his um, entire sort of paradigm for life completely change as a result of that, to to really believe that you are absolutely doing the 100% right thing when you're actually doing 100% the wrong thing, and, and to have that be revealed. I don't know what kind of person you become as a result of that, but I would imagine that one of the invitations is you become an extremely humble person. Because if you were capable of being so unbelievably wrong when you thought you were actually serving God and being unbelievably right, only to find out something different, I think that's why we see Paul's language so Mm -hmm. often along the lines of, these things that I used to count as gain, I now count as loss, or I was a chief sinner. I just, I think that sets you up for a life of saying, wow, I, I better be humble about this stuff because who knows how I am wrong right now. And I just think that it's such a key characteristic of anybody who's able to grow in strength and power in God's kingdom and, and in wisdom and in stature. They're the kind of person that is regularly wondering, I wonder what I'm wrong about today. Hmm. Uh, God, will you show me the truth of your kingdom so I can walk in that sure. light? And, you know, I think it's possible to believe in the infallibility of Scripture and also believe that the Bible contains hyperbole. For oh, instance, sure, Yeah, for instance, Jesus said, now the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. Well, you know what? It isn't. There are smaller right. seeds than the mustard seed. But, you know, he's, he was talking like we all talk. And, and hyperbole, you know, I, I bet if somebody would have dogged him, well, Jesus, you know, I have a seat at home and it's smaller. Well, okay. <laughs> I think that's right. what he would have said. So I think you can believe in the authority of Scripture that the Bible is infallible and still make room for uh, the Bible talk. You know, when the Bible talks about the sunset, well, it doesn't, the sun doesn't set, the, the earth revolves. Yeah, I know, and God knows that. But, you know, we talk like this. So I think it's okay. Let me step beyond the hyperbole for a moment. Mm-hmm. When Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he was, had been walking with Jesus a long time. He had seen miracles. He had seen the Lord work. A lot of things had changed in his life. And I think that's true for all of us, because I've heard everybody in the studio and on the phone basically talk this way. We all talk in some, what might people, some people might call hyperbole, because we say, you know, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more unworthy I realize I am. Well, that's the reality. The closer we get to the reality of Jesus, the more overwhelmed we are by our sinfulness by our sinfulness and the fact that he would take the time mm-hmm. to die for me and i think when paul talks about being the chief of sinners uh i've actually used that terminology with my wife <laughs> and she goes yeah i know you are <laughs> but <laughs> apart from that 
we you feel that way when you walk with Jesus long enough because you begin to realize who he is and how little you really are in this whole scheme of things. And, and do you know, Tom, uh, you were raised Lutheran, so was I. Were you raised with the hymn, Chief of Sinners, Though I Be? Oh, yes. What a beautiful hymn. Great hymn. Say a little, Tom Brock. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Die that I might live on high, lives that I might never die. As the branches to the vine, I am his and he is mine. It's just a beautiful old Lutheran hymn. Very powerful. Yeah. Our ratings just went up. That's good. <laughs> you know, that's really good. A little spike I will in never ratings. Sing. I'll take that as a, <laughs> as a positive affirmation. All right. Uh, let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back with more Guy Talk. guide talk let me know what your questions are we'd love to chew on them best we could 877-933-2484 let me jump to another thing paul said he talks about uh that him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think now he's no mindless optimist here is he i mean this is proof that the best is yet to come right amen yep Yep, and, and Paul was not mindless. That's for sure. No, that's for he sure. Was brilliant. Well, how many times does Jesus surprise you? I mean, surprise with what I call divine appointments. Mm-hmm. Surprise you uh, like a, a nice letter we've got recently. I mean, things happen that only the Lord could pull off, yep. and it's fun to recognize that. Yeah, I think I, I'd be curious your guys' thoughts on this one too, because I think we have to maybe be a little bit careful by how we define abundance on that one, because I think we could potentially define abundance as the idea that my life is going to start being awesome on every possible level, right? And that I just have to be patient and and my marriage is going to be great or I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get everything that I could ever want. So what is the abundance that's been talking about? Because we we hear a lot about the abundant mercy of God, for example, mm-hmm. or, we, uh, or or just this, the, the, where, where sin abounds all the more. And so I think I'd be a little bit careful overlaying the idea of American abundance and prosperity mm-hmm. on what we're talking about here with the abundance. And, and and I think when Jesus talks about that you will have life and you will have it abundantly in John 10, 10, that word life there, uh, if you were to translate it from the Greek, it would say the the kind of life that God himself enjoys, which is a life of uh, of freedom and, and laughter and love and peace and, and all of these kinds of things that are the fruit of the Spirit. So I would suspect that when we're talking about God being able to do an exceeding abundant kind of work in our life, that the, the metrics of that might be sort of the beauty, delight, wonder, freedom, laughter, unencumbered life that the kingdom brings in the midst of the troubled circumstances of the day, as opposed to the idea of, oh, gosh, I've got a Honda Accord right now. That Maserati is showing up in my driveway tomorrow. And, and because, you know, I just have to trust that for more than the Honda Accord, I just have to trust for the Maserati because God's abundance can bring that. I just... Those are some careful places that I think we need, maybe need to avoid walking. Here's a truth I learned a long time ago, and I remember a pastor saying this. If it is the Lord's truth, you can preach it in Uganda 
as well as preach it in Minneapolis. You can preach it in the deepest jungle of Brazil and yeah. preach it here because it will have the same application. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we as Americans want to talk about abundance in terms of housing and cars and money and things like that. And I think that has very little to do with the Bible. The abundance there is the abundant life in the, of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, that even in the midst of life and death, the midst of cancer, the midst of chaos, your confidence is still in him. And John Piper has a sermon called, Why I Hate the Prosperity Gospel. And his point is, it's a false gospel. It is. That yeah. if I come to Jesus, I'm going to be financially prosperous. Right. Well, tell that to the early Christians for 300 years who were thrown to the lions, you know. Right. Indeed. Nice job. Um, that is uh, some good insight, gentlemen, I have to say. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Who, we, who, we whose answer, you whose answer did you like the best? Well, <laughs> I, I, oh, I, I liked all of them. You oh. guys are performing at a very high level today, uh, which I like a lot. So I appreciate that. Um, all right. Let me uh, let me jump into this. Um, how do we as believers bring the hope of Jesus to family members who really are uh, angry, hostile? Maybe they've lost hope or maybe they have felt abandoned by Jesus. Hmm. You know, well, that's tricky. Yeah. Family members, it's a tough one. It's a hard one. Yep. You know, it's hard to sit with family members without judgment. It's hard to sit and be with them or do things with them without trying to correct them. I don't know why we seem to think we have the right to correct family members on every stupid thing they do. We don't do that necessarily with strangers, but we do with family. And it's learning to step into the family situation and just be a family member mm -hmm. long enough so that the door opens and they begin talking about their own needs. And I found that when I have allowed that to happen uh, to people in my family, and they start telling me about their spiritual needs, even though that was not the topic and that's not where they were going, and I didn't say to them, can I introduce you to the four spiritual laws, which I, I love the four spiritual laws, but instead of taking that aggressive approach, it was taking time to be with them, listen to them, pray for them, and let the opportunity unfold. And when I asked the Lord, and this is the key, I asked the Lord for the opportunity with family members to really be able to talk to them. And I keep asking, and many of those doors have opened. And I would think, too, I, nobody do I pray for more than I do for my family. Mm -hmm. And I've been praying for them many, many years and have not seen a lot of movement toward God. Right. So, you know, but I, I do what you just said, Tom, uh, if I'm going to talk to one of them or have a phone call, I always pray first, Lord, if it's your will, open a door. But they've heard the gospel from Tom, the preacher brother, you know, and so they've heard me preach it. And and then I have to discern, do I keep biting my tongue or do I now and then speak the word? And I do sometimes oh, when, sure. when it's right, when the, when the door is open. But sometimes... You are more powerful in your witness when they say something that's obviously awful just to be quiet. Right. And then have maybe one of them say, you don't agree with that, do you? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's, it, the, for me, my heart's most heartfelt prayers are for the salvation of my family. Sure. And it's up to the Lord if, how, and when, but there you go. Peter, what yeah, are your no, thoughts before that, I jump in? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's a it's a heavy weight, isn't it? When it's the people that we care about most, that mm -hmm. we would want nothing more than to, than to walk in the freedom of the gospel, and and when there's just that refusal, that that is a very heavy weight. And and I think Parrish, you said something there that is intriguing to me a bit. And and I think about 
how it, there's you can almost feel this energy in the room, can't you? You mm, get into yeah. the room and and you just think, gosh, where's my opportunity? I'm going to have to share the gospel again. I'm going to have to this, that, and the other. And and I understand that because we care so deeply for our our loved ones. But I think sometimes it's been helpful in some of the relationships that I've been in with my loved ones to just step back and just simply enjoy what they're enjoying about life. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, if, it, if it's inconsistent with the gospel, that's right. different. But I'm I'm talking about entering into their life. I, I think especially if they feel put off by maybe our attempts in the past, then I think it's time to just set that down for a bit and, and to just simply enter into their lives and, and really enjoy uh, the relationship with them. Boy, laughter can break a lot of walls down with people. Oh, yeah. and, and, and so if you can just enter into some of those places and that begins to then rebuild trust. And I think that would be the key to the whole thing is sometimes people uh, maybe wrongly and unfairly, but feel really judged uh, by another person, another family member when they try to share the gospel with them. And, and it kind of breaches their trust a little bit in their own mind. And and so I think whatever way you can rebuild trust with somebody where they enjoy being in your company, then at some point, usually there's going to be an opportunity to talk about more significant things as long as that trust is first there. But there's no one size fits all, right? I mean, every no. family relationship is going to be different. And and I completely understand the heart of the question, but it but it also resists the idea that there's going to be one solution to it. I just, th- there's a number of things that need to happen there. Or you pray, Lord, send them somebody else because they're not listening to me, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, that can be part of it. It absolutely can. But you think about parents that say that all the time, right? They say, well, I sort of have lost my voice in the life of my children. God, will you please bring somebody mm-hmm. else into their life? You know, a coach, a friend, mm-hmm. a different family member, a teacher, it doesn't matter. Just name them. And, and that happens all the time. Yes. I call this the Zakia moment. Remember Zakia? Remember the song? Zakia was a wee little man, a uh-huh. wee little man. Okay, tax collector, right? When Jesus, he's up in the tree, Jesus comes walking along. What does Jesus do to Zacchaeus? Does he start preaching at him about how, what a sinner he is? And being a tax collector, he says, no, hey, get down. I'm coming to your house for dinner today. And he began the relationship. And you see in that, you don't hear Jesus ever tell him how evil he is mm-hmm. or how sinful. But the mere presence of Jesus loving this man, the man said, hey, if I've cheated anybody, I will pay them back double. You know, And what I haven't done right, I will do. I think the problem is we don't understand that the Lord wants to be present with people, but he wants to be present through us. And the way we, we laugh with them, like you said, Peter, the way we listen to them, uh, the way we just spend time with them makes a huge difference. Problem is we're, we're, in a, we're in a Christianity like a McDonald's drive-thru. We hope it can happen in just a few seconds, and then we go on with our sandwich. It doesn't work that way. Most relationships take time, mm-hmm. and family members take even more time. All right, we'll take a little break. we come back. Lots more guide talk. Let me know what the questions are. i got some nice ones coming in. 877 933 Eight, four. You can text the question over. I will ask on your behalf. I will include your name or not, whether you would like it or not. It doesn't matter. Let me know what the question is. Again, 877-93-FAITH. Be right back. Let's get it started. 
Some nice feedback from some listeners. David said, uh, let them know you accept them where they are verbally. We were talking to family mm-hmm. members when you're trying to connect with them. That's really good. Um, Scott said, let them, uh, no, Scott said, let them know you accept, accept them where they are verbally. David said, a really good salesman is a good listener. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Sure. Can I tell my definition of listening, Bill? I know you're... <laughs> Tom, but our, our viewers Tom, don't know. I know, our listeners don't I know. I know your definition. Can, we, can I give this, it? Tom? Let, me, let, let those... me say what okay. it is. You go is. ahead, Bill. Yeah. What is the Because I've def- heard this so many times from you. <laughs> what is the definition of listening? Tom's definition of listening is other people are talking and... Tom, you can't talk. Something like that, isn't it's it? The, the definition of listening is listening are those long, boring times when I don't get to talk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another uh, listener I love that. said, I'm, Virginia said, I'm praying fervently for family. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yep. uh, important that we yep. all Amen. stay focused on that as well. Uh, very good. All right. Um, Matthew 6.34 says, So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. How are we doing in that department? Not well. Yeah, that's hard. It's a battle to not worry. I mean, we did a whole TV show today on this. Have no anxiety about anything. No worry well, about tomorrow. Who's there? Who who has reached that point in life? I don't know. So I think it's a it's a it's a true story. It's a true thing to aim for, but you gotta get on your knees and plead with the Lord to get it sometimes. Well, I look at what's going on in our nation, and we won't go into anything on that regard. But, you know, I get pretty worked up, and I have to be really careful about that. Now, I've been married to an interesting lady for a long time because she is the first one. She sees me upset. She will say to me now, Tom, did you take that to Jesus and lay Mm -hmm. it at his feet? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I I, I wish Jesus would do something. That's not what I asked Tom. And what what she does so well for me, is she forces me to get out of track. See, when I worry, I'm trying to solve the problem and tell Jesus what to do. That's usually what I'm doing. Lord, I'm really concerned about what's going on. Why aren't you doing this or that? Why isn't this taking place? (laughs) And she says, quit doing that. Just put it at his feet. And it has made a huge difference, you know, in my life. And I thank her for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of Jesus in Gethsemane. Three times, the most stressful night of Jesus' life, gets on his knees, three times prays the same prayer. And I think we can put things at Jesus' feet, but sometimes we've got to continually get I mean, you know, it, it, the, it can, the worry can come back in two minutes. Oh, yeah. So you just continually bring Go it back at his over feet. and over. Yeah. Yeah, it does come in waves, doesn't it, you guys? It I, does. I just think that worry is almost always related to what is sort of inalterably true about the future, and that's the future will always and forever be unknown. Mm-hmm. And because it's unknown, and I think because all of us and, and anybody who's listening— has had experiences in their past that have been maybe less than positive on some level and have caused wounding and and fracture or pain or whatever it might happen to be. Well, then you sort of live sometimes, I think, in both unspoken and in spoken worry that that similar kind of thing might happen in the future. And so with the future being unknown, you can't say for sure what's going to happen. I mean, none of us are promised tomorrow. And because that's true, to the extent that we come present to that, worry is a pretty natural response and just mm-hmm. say, well, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, look what happened yesterday and, and, and the world isn't always the easiest place. And I, I just think when, as that worry is coming in waves, the only time that I've ever actually 
been able to find an, an abiding sense of peace, not a temporary one, because sometimes worry can be resolved to some degree when then there is a positive thing that happens circumstantially. But that is almost always fleeting. I, I would say the only time it's been abiding in any way or sense of it is is what you just said, I think, Brock, about God, Jesus being in the garden. What did he finally say? He said, you know, okay, but nevertheless, let your will be done. Yes. And, and I think when we can finally get to that point, and boy, there's been nights in my own life that have extended far too long before I would get to that point and, and over and over again. But it, it, it seems like at that point, all of a sudden, uh, inevitably, there's, there's sort of a little whisper across the spirit, I suppose would be one way to describe it, or, or a sense internally or whatever it is. And that sense internally in those places is almost always God saying some version of, uh, but don't worry, just remember, I will be with you. There you go. And, and there's something about, because uh, he doesn't just promise that it's going to be okay, but what he does promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake yep. you. And, and, but, and in that spot, somehow there's an abiding sense of peace, almost regardless of what comes. And then the waves of worry hit, and then you got to go through it again. Yep. But to the extent that you keep walking through that, you start actually growing as a sense of peace, just as a way of doing life instead of the way of worry. But that, that's a tricky thing. You know, what's interesting is that as Christians, there are 52 one another passages in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. And, and we all love those verses, and we all believe them. The problem is doing them. 18 years ago, my first grandson was accidentally killed. And my first grandson, it just took the heart out of me. I mean, I think, honestly, I, I spent a year sitting in my back bedroom crying at night, so frustrated. Why, Lord? Why did this happen? Why did this need to happen? Well, we've been blessed with, with seven other grandchildren since then. And so, you know what? I have a tendency to worry about my grandchildren because I've seen the inequities of life. But that's where other Christians are so important, to come along and yep. say, Tom, you got yep. I know you got to be concerned. I know what you've gone through. I haven't forgotten you all these years. I've been praying for you, and I'm here with you. And no matter what happens, that's the nevertheless. Mm-hmm. I will be here for you. Think about what happens when we have that. Because sometimes we worry, don't we feel all alone? Don't we feel we're isolated? Mm-hmm. That's where we need one another, yes. and too often we don't do that so well. So everybody be part of a church, be part of a Bible study, Absolutely. get Christians around you. I like the old saying, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Yeah. And and every time we worry, I mean, you know what? Something like 90% of the things we worry about never happen. Right. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the fact is, and this is going to sound sort of stupid maybe, but we're all going to make it safely to our deathbed. We don't have to worry about that. Yeah. We're, we're all gonna, I'm feeling we're all so much better. In Thank the end, you. right? But that, but I think when we just can kind of accept that simple fact, right. we're, we're going to arrive safely there whenever that happens. Uh, then the the question is 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 what's beyond that? And and I think that's one of the of the great invitations of our faith is that uh, yes, Jesus died for our sins on the cross and and restored the capacity and the possibility for right relationship with the Father that loves us. And and we should and could be driven to our knees because of that fact uh, of what happened on Good Friday. But, but the really good news uh, of that entire weekend was that not only did then Jesus die on our behalf, but he burst out of that grave and, and, and conquered all of sin and death. And so that's why Paul can say such things as, well, even though I die, yet I live. Yeah. And so I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the, the worst thing that could happen in the future is that I'm going to die, or, or a loved one of ours is going to die. Well, guess what? We're all safely yeah. going to get to that point. Yeah. We don't have to worry about the fact that we're going to get to that point. And that's why leaning into Easter Sunday mm-hmm. and knowing that just as he has been raised, we too will be raised, 
uh, when when we start taking that perspective and you think of the worst possible thing that could happen, well, even that we are safe for those who decide yes. to lean in, in, into Amen. Jesus in this. And, you know, can I give a quick story here, Bill? Uh, so at one day years ago, I'm at, shaking hands at the door at the church and comes out a sweet older couple. And one, the guy's name was Ralph. And, yeah, I'm going to go to the lodge today. And I thought, oh, the lodge? Ralph is a, uh, what do they call it, a mason, oh, yeah. which is a cult. You yeah. shouldn't be a Christian and a mason. And, oh, okay, Lord, I guess I got to confront him. And for two weeks, I think, oh, I don't want to confront him. I, you know, I love this guy. And uh, so finally, finally, I think it took two weeks, I called his house. Dear sweet wife answers the phone. You know, um, uh, Norma, I got to talk to Ralph. I didn't know he was part of the uh, the Masons. And the Masons? I said, yeah, it just I, I didn't know he was part of the lodge. Oh, no, he's talking about the Sons of Norway. <laughs> Here I had worried about something for two weeks that did not exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that my point is, uh, Jesus is right. Just one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a a car alarm go off where the burglar is running away, going, "Oh no, they might catch me." Every time there's a car alarm, there's no one ever around. Oh, <laughs> now I got it. Okay. <laughs> no. I get it. Is there anything more annoying than a car alarm? Yes, okay. No. Do you ever see some guy running away going, oh, no, they might catch me? (laughs) No, I don't think so. No, it's usually me when I got a bunch of groceries in my hand. (laughs) Yeah, you accidentally hit the fob. I hit the key. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just a little sidebar there. Uh, (laughs) All right. Let's let's jump into another question here that that just come in. Um Let's see. Jesus did not give his life so we could fret over petty emotions and life's disappointments. So Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. So that's probably a yeah. good thing. Let's not worry about no, tomorrow. And you're right. Knowing it's one thing, doing it yeah, can no, be it's, another. It's yeah. really tough. But <laughs> yeah, it is. what were you worrying about yesterday that's, yeah. that you're now still thinking about today with the same intensity? And, you know, I, I went to is a it, pastor's conference years ago because pastors can have a lot of stress mm-hmm. and they get burnt out and quit. And this pastor's conference had a, a medical doctor up front explaining what stress does to the body. And I remember his statement, do all that you can to eliminate all stress from your life. Mm. And he was saying that to pastors who can have rough marriages, who can have nervous breakdowns, who can have heart attacks, because it, it's kind of stressful to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. But his main point is do all you can to eliminate stress from your life. Mm-hmm. So, What about when pastors are elevated to a position of almost movie star-esque, yeah. rock star-esque? They're Tom never of, had that problem, nor have I. I, I <laughs> No, I get it, but we can certainly make observations of, oh, we of, sure can. of pastors in very oh, in, I know. incredibly big churches, and there's almost rock star treatment. Yeah, and, and getting me a jet and everything else. Well, I'm not saying that so much. I mean, there's certainly that yeah. out there, but yeah. uh, is can you uh, have that kind of influence and power and not also suffer from some corruption? Mm-hmm. Power corrupts. Well, well very power r- does corrupt. Very rarely can you have that kind of power and, and not wind up in trouble. Because you begin to believe your own rhetoric. You begin to believe yeah. how important you are. Um, that is a little bit disconcerting to me. I remember walking to a, a church, and I won't name the church. Uh, you would recognize the name. I walked in, and 
as we're coming in to sit down, and I've never been in there before, on the right side, this beautiful painting of Jesus on the cross. On the left side, equal size, is the picture of the pastor yeah, and his wife. I was in a church like that. I thought, this is ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Why would you even be yeah. up there? Yeah. You know, it's not about me. It never has been. I, my first church, I was an assistant pastor and I, uh, in Florida. You walked into the church, a beautifully, I don't even know how to describe this, a beautiful wooden, big picture of the pastor that has been carved into it's it's a sculpture that has been painted so it looked just like him hanging and, and it was his memorial chapel well you wait till somebody dies to give him a memorial chapel. Still alive? he was he was the said pastor and oh <laughs> oh we had a bumpy year and a half and and just boy the ego of this pastor was all over this church and oh you don't want to do that yeah, I, I was just, you know, I, just on a personal story, I think I was in my late 20s and was working in a fairly large church at the time. It had right around 6,000 people. And, and I remember uh, getting into a, a good friendship with the senior pastor at that time and became identified as sort of the next uh, leader of the megachurch or the next speaker of the megachurch. And it was kind of this intoxicating sort of Sunday morning where the entire senior staff of the church in front of the thousands of people in the body laid their hands on me to to anoint me for that kind of leadership role and for the speaking. And, and I'll tell you what, guys, I mean, I don't know, I, I for this thing from a rock star, but I'm not going to say anything other than that. It was a very difficult thing to handle in in the spirit, other than feeling somewhat intoxicated by the people, sort of the, the adulation of the applause of the people. And, and all I can say is that in going through some really difficult things in my early 30s, not too long after that, and, and one of them being a significant health scare where I was given a terminal diagnosis, and, and there's there's a much longer story about that, but it got me off that bandwagon. It got me off that, that those train tracks. Good. Uh, the, those were dangerous places to walk, man, because you do, you, you end up start, starting to believe your own press clippings, and if mm-hmm. anybody comes against you, you, you might say things like, well, don't you know I'm the Lord's anointed? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm the oh, one. Yeah. And, Mm-hmm. And and we, we see it, we see the impact. And there are some people, a very few, that, that can walk in those spaces and keep the humility in an authentic kind of way. And I've seen some of those people as well. And I mm-hmm. So what and, did and what did God do? What did Peter, what did God do to keep the Apostle Paul from having a big head? Oh, the thorn in the flesh, there right? You I go. mean you do the all surpassing greatness. <laughs> we all need God a thorn in the flesh. Yeah, but but on any given hour, you're pretty well convinced that all-surpassing greatness is coming from you, brother, uh-huh, you know, and, uh-huh. and, and how easy that is to to fall into. And I think we do see the impact of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a little break. I talk. We've got time for more questions. Let me know. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Guy talk, and uh, let's see. I've got some good questions here, but uh, let me ask you this, guys. If something falls on the floor. What's your rule before you have to throw it away? How many seconds? Oh, oh. Tom, in well, your case, what, uh, five minutes? Uh, yeah, maybe at least five <laughs> minutes. I'm single. I eat everything. Uh, right. Do you? I do. No. Yeah, yeah I, I, no, no, no. I, it's thrown away. Thrown away? It really? Oh, yeah. When it goes on the floor, it's gone. Well, you've got a dog in your house, oh, though, don't you? Not anymore. Oh, okay. He moved out. Oh. <laughs> 
It completely depends. I mean, if it's a piece of broccoli, it wasn't ever really meant to go in me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate chip cookie, that could be a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. All right, let's say um, that passage in uh, is it James, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from mm-hmm. you. Uh, it seems that oftentimes you hear that resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we kind of ignore that first part of that verse. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil mm-hmm. and he will flee from you. Right? Humble yourself yeah. is in there too. Humble yourself and uh, submit to God and the devil will free, flee from you. I think it's the same verse or the verse ahead of it. Mm-hmm. But there's people miss the fact there are a lot of conditions in getting certain things from Scripture. This has conditions to it. Mm-hmm. You know, the... the uh, Peace of God that passes all understanding has conditions to it. Keep your mind on good things. But the problem is we are so caught up in grace that we forget that it is not works to follow the conditions. The conditions are what get us to where Jesus is taking us. And that's where Mm -hmm. we need to go. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Parrish. I think sometimes we think of God's rules as meant to from actually having the fun that we want to have, as opposed to the idea that the, these are the very boundaries that will create the kind of space where our souls can become increasingly unencumbered. And and I think, uh, I, I don't know why and when we sometimes get the idea that God is sort of just this moral cop in the sky that's always shaking his finger at us about stuff. Uh, I, I just think his, he's there for the good of us. And so if we can trust in, in him and, and yield to him in that place, uh, then at that, and, and we know that he has our good in mind, then I think it becomes easier to resist the schemes of the devil. Yeah. Nicely done, gentlemen. Uh, Colossians 1.16, uh, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were through him and for him. That seems to pack a wallop. Mm-hmm. Huge verse. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe shed some light on this one? Well, go ahead, Tom. Well, I think it is, I call it the pivotal verse of the New Testament. Because you go from, who is this Jesus? And the New Testament keeps identifying him as God the Son, which he is, of course, also human. Suddenly, though, now in Colossians 1.16, you have him as the creator. He created everything. When people say to me, well, I only believe what Jesus said in the Bible. I don't trust Paul. I don't trust that. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? Jesus is the author of the entire Bible. And he appointed Paul to be the apostle. He did. So, you know, the point of this is so wonderful because it's saying, look, your creation, your purpose, everything you have is a gift from Jesus, and he did it so that you can know him and be with him forever. Yeah, agreed. I agree. It calls to mind the passage from the opening to John's Gospel where it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, and all things were made through him. Apart from him, nothing has been made that has been made. And in yes. him there is life, or this this very way of God's kingdom that's sort of embedded in what God intended for this world. And that, that Word, then John says, of course, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that being Jesus. And John was drawing off of a Greek concept at that time called the Logos. And, mm-hmm. and, and the Logos was this idea of sort of an all-sustaining reality that the Greeks sort of knew existed philosophically, but didn't know how to name it. And and John took that and said, what you Greeks are intuiting about the fact that there must be some sort of creating, sustaining reality of the universe, 
Um, you need to understand that's the word. In the beginning was Logos. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and it became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the one and only through whom all things and for whom all things were made. It's an incredibly powerful statement to think that in the beginning, pre-existent to the word becoming flesh, the very being that brought all of this into being existed. And then he dwelt among us. I mean, there isn't any other religious <laughs> claim from any other religious faith that comes to even close to that. And it is quite a wallop of a statement. It's the kind of passage, that Colossians passage, it just, it brings tears. Who is this God that would become flesh and dwell among us? And not just do that, but while we are yet sinners, then die for us. I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost laughable that a God would go to such lengths uh, unless he just cared so deeply for the creation that he brought up into being. And, you know, some people misinterpret John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and they think the Bible was in the beginning. Yeah, the no, Bible right. Is the word. No, no, the Bible is the Word of God, but there's two different meanings. Uh, the, the Word of God in John 1 is Jesus as the expression of God. Yes. Uh, as an eternal person with the Father and the Spirit. And, you know, the Colossians passage, Colossians, Colossians 1, about Jesus reigning over absolutely everything. I, I, I taped a TV show today, and the question was asked, did God create the devil? I know my answer. What would you guys say? He's the creator of all things. Yeah. Indeed. Devil didn't create himself. Everything is under the uh, creating hand of God. I mean, and the theory is that God created a good angel and Satan rebelled and they became the demons, the angels. And I think that's a good theory, but it's never clearly explained. No. Uh, But, you know, there are religions. Christians are what's called eternal monists, mon meaning one. Only one thing's eternal, God. There are other religions. I think Zoroastrianism are eternal dualists, that both good and evil are eternal. But in Christianity, only God is eternal. Everything yeah. else was created, including the devil. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Here's a comment that Tim Keller made, you don't fall into love, you commit to it. Love is saying, I will be there no matter what. Seems like a very lovely thing for uh, earthly relationships, but it can also apply to the way God feels about us, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, biblical love is a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not just an, you can have emotions with it, but it's predominantly a choice. And I think about mothers who get up at 2 a.m. in the morning and hear that screaming baby who has a horrible diaper that needs to be changed and the baby needs to be fed so the baby finally goes back to sleep and she drags herself in there. That's love. That's biblical love because it, it's there's what's in it for the mom? I mean, is it a great emotional feeling to go into a sticky diaper at 2 a.m.? Yeah. No. You do it because it needs to be done. And that is exactly how the Lord loves us, and that is how we're to love one another. And if I can get that through couples' heads, especially, you know, I mean, look at how quickly— you know, these uh, couples, you marry this young woman or young man, they're so good looking, you know, great physique and that. And then in 10 years, they don't even look the same anymore. I mean, they're they're fat, they're, you know, bloated, they bald, uh, bald all of that that goes with <laughs> this it. This is my story. And yet, and yet the commitment of love Let's not make is this not, about Peter. The commitment of love is not based upon your emotion toward that person, although you were emotionally attracted in the beginning. It is the choice you make because you've made a commitment to them. Do you want to respond to this, Peter? I feel like we kind of, <laughs> kind of hung you out to dry there. Actually, you guys got so personal on air. I, didn't <laughs> I mean, it got, it got ugly fast, didn't it? <laughs> 
Yeah, to, to grow in that kind of love, right? I just I think that it is a choice, and then I think at, at the same time we can actually grow where that choice becomes more of our natural disposition in life. But that's sure. only capable to the extent that God empowers us to do so. And so I think it's that that dual agency that we've all talked about from time to time that we do need to yield and submit and give and act and 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 choose and those sorts of things. And as we do so, God also does the work of forming our very attitudes and dispositions that over time. That, that love begins to flow through us in some different kinds of ways. But yeah, mm-hmm. Keller's statement's a profound statement. That's a good one. Gentlemen, uh, the hour goes fast, doesn't it? It yes, does. Yeah, it does. Got a lot of nice uh, remarks from listeners that appreciate this hour. So thank you for letting us know that you do like it. And we'd like to uh, say thank you to you, our listeners, because, you know, if you don't have listeners, eh, That's right. you don't have much of a radio yeah, show. Thanks right? for <laughs> taking the time to listen. That's yeah. right. Indeed. And Peter, Indeed. thank you so much uh, for coming to us today from your home studio. It was awfully nice of you. And uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, uh, the Bible answer will continue with Professor Professor Mark, Dr. Mark Muska. He's going to be uh, asked the professor hour. Let me know what your questions are. Keep them coming. They're all good ones. We'll take a short break and be right back with Dr. Mark Muska. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.